How much do you know about pregnancy and alcohol? The reality may surprise you. Alcohol exposure while in the womb may cause fetal alcohol spectrum disorder in unborn children. It may lead to lifelong physical and or neurodevelopmental impairments such as problems with memory, attention, cause and effect reasoning, and difficulties in adapting to situations. For such an impactful disorder, it is rarely spoken about in the popular media. This podcast will take you behind the scenes to chat with the people who understand FASD. This is Pregnancy and Alcohol, The Surprising Reality. Welcome, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to this episode of Pregnancy and Alcohol, The Surprising Reality. My name is Kurt Lewis, your friendly neighborhood podcaster. And today I'm talking to an expert and a a researcher who has been involved in a number of studies and articles involving alcohol, the brain, and even prenatal alcohol exposure. Brianna Lees. Hi, Kurt. It's lovely to be here. Brianna, I know that your work as a researcher involves reading through and assessing quite complex data. It makes me wonder, how do you like to relax after, you know, crunching all that data? (laughs) Do you read for pleasure or is it TV or movies? I am a big reader. I actually have set myself a goal this year to read 52 books, and I think I'm too behind schedule, which isn't too bad, so hopefully I'll meet that goal. And I'm obviously watching the Olympics at the moment. I've been loving that, Mm. and definitely a big fan of a Netflix binge as well. Uh, Any favourite teams for the Olympics? Oh, Australia, of course. The swim team has been amazing. Mm. My one small claim to fame, I went to school with Emma McKeon, who Mm. is now the most decorated Australian swimmer. So, yeah, it's been great. (laughs) Well, that's something to bring out. I honestly don't know any swimmers, so you've got one up on me (laughs) in that respect. Just getting down to brass and tacks, your main body of work focuses on neurobiological impacts of substance use during vulnerable development periods and the effects on this on the brain structure, function and cognition. What drew you to that area of research? Yeah, I became really interested in, I guess, the biological underpinnings of humans while I was at uni. I studied a degree in psychology and did a few courses on cognition and biological psychology. (laughs) Just became really fascinated in understanding how the brain develops. I learned during that time that there are sensitive periods of brain development. So during the prenatal stage, throughout the teenage years, and also in older adults as well and learned about how environmental factors can have a bigger effect during those sensitive periods. So from there, I started doing research, looking at how different environmental factors can impact the brain during those times. So I was mostly looking at alcohol. I started looking at the teenage brain and then moved on to the first sensitive period, the prenatal period. Why did you choose particularly prenatal kind of area and why did you choose specifically substance abuse like alcohol? So I actually initially got a job out of uni at a drug and alcohol research center and just became really interested specifically in alcohol, I think because that's the most common substance that people use in society. And, you know, I started looking at teenagers because that's what our team were looking at. But then for my PhD, I just became really interested in looking at the prenatal stage as it's another sensitive brain development 
time and just realized that there was hardly any research looking at how, you know, low levels of alcohol can impact a baby's brain development. So I wanted to learn more. It just grew from there in essence. Yeah. Yeah. I think as I realized that there was such a dearth of information out there and from a personal perspective, I was just interested in knowing if there was a safe level of alcohol use during pregnancy and just saw that the studies that were out there to date were quite small and there were some methodological issues and there just really wasn't, I guess, clear evidence for mothers and families that I just really wanted to explore that further. Mm. Well, I read a recent study you were part of published in the American Journal of Psychiatry. You examined the impacts of prenatal alcohol exposure in a number of young people. What were the findings of that one exactly? Yeah, so this was a study with nearly 10,000 children and one in four of those children had been exposed to alcohol while they were in the womb and it was relatively low level. So the mothers were drinking one or two standard drinks per occasion and for the vast majority of them, they only consumed alcohol before they knew they were pregnant and then stopped afterwards. So overall, it was low-level drinking. And what we found was that any level of alcohol use in pregnancy, even having just one or two standard drinks per occasion, was associated with differences in brain development. And these children who were nine to 10 years of age also showed more emotional and behavioral problems. So they were more likely to have uh, higher levels of depression, of anxiety. They had attention deficits and were more aggressive as well. That's somewhat disturbing given I believe that over like 50% of pregnancies are unplanned. So there's quite a bit of gap there between where the mother discovers she's actually pregnant and there's a possibility of ingestion of alcohol in that time. Yes, it is quite concerning. In Australia, I think one in two women consume alcohol and for the majority of them, they're consuming before they realize that they're pregnant. And so for some of them, that's an unplanned pregnancy. And also it can be for planned pregnancies as well. And the findings suggested that even consumption in those really early weeks before women know that they're pregnant can still have a negative impact on the child. In some other research you've done, your findings have shown that prenatal exposure to alcohol raises the likelihood of a child exhibiting emotional and behavioural problems, including anxiety, impulsivity, executive function and aggression, like you've mentioned, often leading to a diagnosis of ADHD, ODD. We know there's a large overlap between ADHD and fetal alcohol spectrum disorder and Many who eventually receive a diagnosis of FASD have previously had a diagnosis with another disability, such as ADHD and autism. Do you think there needs to be more research done to understand the overlap between all these conditions? Yeah, I think that's a really important question and an important area to explore further. I guess first I'll just make a note on our study. So we found that children who were exposed to three or more standard drinks per occasion were about 25 to 30% more likely to have a diagnosis of ADHD and ODD. And one of the limitations of that study was that we didn't have data on whether the children had a diagnosis of FASD. So It is likely that some of these children could have FASD, but nonetheless, there is a lot of overlap in the symptoms and the presentations for those mental disorders and neurodevelopmental disorders. And I think a lot of research to date has focused on exploring each of these disorders and disabilities separately. 
Whereas the reality is for many individuals who have FASD, who have ADHD or ODD, more often than not, they also have another diagnosis. They're experiencing comorbidity and there's a lack of research in that space in understanding how to best support those individuals who are experiencing overlapping symptoms, who have multiple disorders. And from the clinician's perspective, they're trained to look just at one disorder. And I think more training needs to become available to help support individuals who are experiencing overlapping symptoms and disorders. Just to make it clear for my listeners, there's a difference between prenatal alcohol exposure and a diagnosis of FASD. Yes, that's correct. So when referring to prenatal alcohol exposure, it's any child who was exposed to alcohol while in the womb, whereas fetal alcohol spectrum disorder is a a disability with a set of criteria and symptoms that a child or individual needs to meet in order to receive that diagnosis. And it's an umbrella term. There's a few different disorders that come within or come under FASD. Because FASD is very much a a spectrum-based disorder. It encompasses quite a few symptoms. Yes, correct. Do you have a view on why FASD is generally the last disability diagnosed as opposed to being diagnosed first or at least at the same time as something like ADHD and all that? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I think I would preface it by saying I'm not sure if I'm the best person to answer this question and I'm coming at it from a research perspective and I don't have clinical experience. But what I would say is FASD is referred to as an invisible disability. For many individuals, when you look at them and they have FASD, you can't see any physical differences that help with diagnosis. And as we've mentioned, there's a lot of overlap in the symptoms between FASD and other disorders, which makes it really challenging to diagnose and a multidisciplinary team is required to make a diagnosis. So I think that is a contributor to later diagnoses. And I think the other aspect worth mentioning is awareness of FASD. I think in comparison to other neurodevelopmental disorders and other mental disorders that children can experience, awareness of FASD is lower in the general population. What other research do you think would be useful in exploring the impacts of alcohol on the unborn child? Is there like more research that we need to do that we need to know about? Most definitely. I'll mention some research, I guess, that relates to what I've previously done. So I've really been looking at low levels of alcohol use in pregnancy. And I think this is a space that requires a lot more work. And I think it's particularly important because it's the most common way that women consume alcohol while they're pregnant, just having one or two standard drinks per occasion. And You know, we've done a couple of studies now with really large samples and we were able to find some rigorous results, but we were looking at children who are aged nine to 10. There's a lack of information and a lack of data available that follows these children from when they're born all the way through childhood as they go to school into adulthood as well. So we really don't have a good understanding of the impacts of low level alcohol use across the lifespan. And there needs more research, and particularly in this kind of area. Yes, yes. So I think more research tracking children who've been exposed to low levels of alcohol in the womb to understand the impacts on mental health, on cognitive functioning, brain development, education, etc. 
This is somewhat of a personal question, but I'm wondering if your detailed research studies have changed your own attitude towards alcohol. And if so, is this something you've shared with your friends and family? That's a really good question. When we first started working on these studies and wanted to look at whether there was an effect of having low levels of alcohol in pregnancy, myself and some of my colleagues you know, we really didn't know what the outcome would be. I think a lot of us thought that there would be some safe level that having just one or two drinks here or there would be okay and wouldn't have a long-term impact on the child. So when we did discover that even just having one or two drinks does have a negative effect, it definitely, I guess, changed my view. And when I plan on having a family, I will be choosing to abstain from alcohol the whole time based on these results. And, you know, I've shared the findings with my friends and family and are trying to increase awareness by doing things like this podcast, by doing media so that women can be informed about the impacts and are empowered to make an informed decision around their drinking when it comes to pregnancy. So it was a solid surprise when you when you got the research back and it was like, oh, this drink, this wine can essentially damage unborn children at any particular time. Yeah. The research before we did these big studies was really mixed. Like some studies said there was no effect and others said that there was an effect. And there were all of these differences out there in the, across these studies because the samples were really small and there wasn't robust evidence either way. And I think a lot of us were hypothesizing that just having one would be all right, that that wouldn't have an effect. But yeah, not the case. Has this, and you don't have to answer this one, this is more just me wandering off the cuff, but mm-hmm. has this had any negative effects on your relationships? Has, has there any negative, you mentioning this to other people? I think sharing this information with people from just trying to inform people, mm. I'm not coming to the conversation with judgment. Mm. I think it's important for women and for families to have access to the latest research, have access to the latest information. And so I'm just sharing the findings and it is up to that person Mm. to make an informed decision about what they want to do. And I'm not judging them either way in what they choose to do. And at the end of the day, you're providing them with the evidence, with the knowledge. And generally, I believe that anyone who's a mother or anyone who wants to be a father won't do anything to put their child in jeopardy. They won't do anything to hurt the future of that child. Exactly. No one's intentionally trying to increase risk of harm Mm. to their baby. Here's the big question. This is the one I ask all my guests. Do you think there's more our listeners could be doing as individuals or we could be doing as a whole society to prevent alcohol-exposed pregnancies? Yeah, this is so important. I think especially in this space, we can really sort of focus on the women who are drinking in pregnancy and it can be stigmatizing, it can be demonizing and that's not what we want to do at all. As I mentioned before, like we should not be judging women and we need to be thinking about how we can support women who are pregnant. You know, there's some amazing initiatives out there where partners are pledging not to drink throughout the entire nine months or other family members are pledging not to drink, which I think is fantastic. I also think 
you know, in terms of clinicians, pregnant women going to see their GPs, that it's really important that clinicians are also asking uh, pregnant women and women who are planning pregnancies about their alcohol consumption and having conversations about it to make sure that there's support and guidance for women who need it. And we should really be banding together and trying to support everyone in the community. Mm. I did read a recent study where the partner of someone who's pregnant has a very big impact in terms of their alcohol use, What, how yeah. much they drink. Yes, definitely. Drinking is a social thing. If my partner was having a drink at dinner that would, you know, I'm more likely to do, do so as well. So I think supporting each other through this time is a fantastic approach to help women abstain from drinking uh, throughout pregnancy. Well, thank you for sitting down with me today and discussing all this. It was great. Thank you so much, Kurt. Oh, thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Pregnancy and Alcohol, The Surprising Reality. Please tune in next week for another episode of Our Little Podcast. If you like this podcast episode, then please show your support by leaving a rating and review on iTunes. Every little bit helps. All rights reserved. For more information about FASD, then please go to www.nofasd.org.au.